This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, yes, yes, yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, Brian Calm. Elon, I don't know if you could tell, there's a little extra enthusiasm in my yes this week, and that is because for the first time in a while, we are united. Once again, you might be able to tell we're in the same room. Usually, it sounds like we are, but it's really just a little audio trick. This time, it's the real deal. Elon and Brian, in the same place, recording a podcast. I wonder if anyone actually cares about that. They're just like, get to it. Let's talk about fantasy hockey. But yeah, I'm here. Brian, your place looks great. I hadn't seen it before. Good job. Okay, before we get into the plethora of players that I want to discuss, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best site. It's so good. Like, you go there for everything. Like, anything you need, starting goalies, line combos. You could go to their line combinations section, and you could see the line combinations of a game that's currently happening. Like, yesterday I was thinking in the middle of the Florida game, I think Brandon Peary's on that second line now, because he just got an assist on that goal by Nick Bjugstad, and how could that be? And then I checked, and yeah, he was playing with Bjugstad and... You see Okunin. I guess he moved to the right side. I don't know, but thank you, Dauber Hockey, for having the information available in real time. There's also all the articles, the player profiles that Brian mentioned on last week's show. I've been using that. That's so handy. I used that on the patron cast last week when we were talking about some players and made me sound really smart. So DauberHockey.com. Check it out. It's fantastic. Brian, let's get going with our content for this week. And I want to start with some goaltending. I feel like we've been a little light on goalies in the past few weeks. And there's a whole bunch of really interesting scenarios starting to play out with a number of the starters and backups. And like, maybe is the backup playing better than the starter? We got to start hashing some of this out and see what's the value of some of these goalies right at this moment. And let's start with the Anaheim Ducks, because I'm starting to get kind of worried about Frederick Anderson. He has been very poor lately. And I remember at the beginning of the year, Anderson was doing great, but the Ducks just couldn't score. So it was sort of like people were saying, oh, should we drop Anderson? He's not getting me any wins. And I was like, no, no, the Ducks will figure out how to score. It'll be fine. Now it's like the opposite. The Ducks are doing okay. They did get shut out yesterday, though, which was annoying. But it's Frederick Anderson that hasn't been able to pull his weight in his last five games. He's only had one where he had an over 900 save percentage. And we're looking at really bad save percentages. I'm seeing 857, 852, 700. He got pulled after letting in three goals against Nashville. And the thing is, there's a capable backup there. Anton Kudobin, when he came in after that shelling that Anderson took in Nashville, he got a shutout the rest of the game. He also had a shutout a couple weeks ago against San Jose. He had a great game against Carolina. It's starting to look like Anaheim might be better off playing Anton Kudobin. And that's obviously very concerning for Anderson owners. But also, I'm sure Kudobin is available in a lot of your leagues. And Brian, I want to know at this point... What value would you place on Kudobin? And we're going to be mentioning a lot of backups in this segment. So as we go, maybe we can keep a running tally of our rankings. But let's start with Kudobin and that whole situation in Anaheim. What do you think is going on? Well, you're right, Elon. Frederick Anderson was coming out as like an early fantasy darling. He was the guy holding the Ducks in all those games that they couldn't win to start the year when they were scoring zero or one goal every single game. And he was the lone guy pretty much pulling his weight on that team. 
Unfortunately, the situation has somewhat reversed since then, as the Ducks are now scoring goals, but he is not stopping shots as he was before. In fact, since the beginning of November, his even-strength save percentage is down to about 913, which is a big difference from his overall save percentage on the year, which is a 926 at even-strength. So yeah, the last eight games have not been kind to Frederick Anderson, and Anton Kudobin has been ever the opportunist. He's only played like in about four games in the last 20 days or so but he's made them worth his while in fact he has had about a 924 even strength save percentage in that time so he is definitely showing his worth and remember he was a guy last year who we thought might be able to take over the job from Cam Ward in Carolina last year couldn't do that so a lot of us including me pretty much wrote him off as being well he'll be a good backup if Anderson really struggles he'll step in And I suppose by some definitions, Anderson has really struggled, but I would still be willing to have some patience with him. Kudobin on the whole season has just a 917 save percentage, which is nothing at all to write home about. But it is still higher than Anderson's, which has dropped down to a 914. One interesting part where you see sort of this difference happening, and we might talk about this, Elon, with some of the other goalies we mentioned today. There are two parts of a goalie save percentage which help define like their overall save percentage, that overall number, but they do tend to fluctuate kind of wildly, and goaltenders can have hot runs and cold runs in both these like sub-goaltending categories, and that will affect probably your perception of them because of how it affects their overall save percentage number. Those two categories are short-handed save percentage and high danger save percentage, which is a stat that's available over at War on Ice. And it sort of takes into account how much a goalie stops shots from high danger areas on the ice that they've denoted. And I mentioned this before, you can go over to War on Ice and see a pretty little diagram of where those high danger areas are. And as it turns out, Anderson is struggling in both and Kudobin is doing all right in both. Now, like I said, those do tend to fluctuate wildly. They can be generally stable over the course of a goalie's career, but in a single season, like maybe the poster boy would be Andrew Hammond last year, he had a high danger save percentage of about 889, and that went a long way into how well his run went in that 24-game stretch at the end of the season last season for Ottawa. For comparison's sake, the goalie who played regularly and had the best high danger save percentage was Braden Holtby, and he was more at an 868, Halak was next at an 867, and Devin Dubnik with an 864. So you can sense a difference between Hammond's number and the numbers of the goalies who actually played frequently. In fact, you know, the the top of that list is dotted with guys who played 14, 15, 16 games last year. And I wonder if that's what we're seeing with Kudobin so far. It's okay to do it for a short amount of time, but over more games played, it generally evens itself out, which is why I'm still not writing Anderson off at this point. I almost feel bad for the guy because last year there was Gibson breathing down his neck for so long. Ilya Brizgalov was in the picture for a little bit as well. And this year, when John Gibson started the season in the AHL, everyone thought, okay, maybe it's Anderson's job, even though this is super confusing because we thought he'd push or split time. And now here comes Kudobin challenging again. I still think if given the chance to pick one Anaheim goalie for the rest of the year today, I would still take Anderson Though instead of maybe expecting 60-65 starts, I might be expecting more towards the 55-start neighborhood. Yeah, well, I don't think there's anyone that's considering, like, dropping Anderson for Kudobin at this point. I think it's more, like, if Kudobin's available in your free agent list, like, just how valuable is he? I agree with you that Anderson, as still the number one goalie in Anaheim, is worth holding on to. But it is concerning for Anderson owners that he'll lose some starts. And, yeah, I guess as we go through some of these backups... We'll start ranking them. But Kudobin is looking like an interesting pickup right now because Anaheim's a good team. Like once that offense gets going, which it already kind of has, they're a team that you could expect to win a lot of their games. And Kudobin, if he can play a lot, I think he's going to have a lot of value in your league. Brian, any sense before we move on of what Bruce Boudreau is thinking? And do you have a sense of if he's a type of coach that will stick with the number one goalie or will more tend to ride the hot hand? I think during his time in Washington, he showed that he wasn't really ever ready to commit solely to one goalie and go all in with that guy. And I think we saw that on display a little bit last year, and perhaps now's a chance for us to see it again. He's not somebody who rides one guy all the way through. I'd expect him to give Kudobin more starts than, say, Barry Trotz would if he were coaching Anaheim. 
And I think my point earlier about like reduced starts for Anderson just means if you were riding him as your workhorse, like on your team as your number one guy or even your number two guy, you might need to consider firming up that goaltending position with someone like Kudobin or maybe someone who we are about to talk about in the very near future on this episode. Okay, well, let's move on to the next team I wanted to talk about. Let's talk about Corey Crawford and the Chicago Blackhawks because almost under the radar, Corey Crawford has started to put together a pretty crappy season. Like at this point, he has a 9-10 save percentage on the year and I think he started pretty well and I kind of looked a little dumb for over the summer saying that I thought Darling might challenge. But lately, Crawford has been pretty abysmal and that was obviously accentuated by his horrible game yesterday against Vancouver where he led in five goals, only made 14 saves. He had a couple decent starts before that, but then he also has... Sprinkled in a few clunkers, like one against New Jersey. He had two straight less than 800 save percentage games against St. Louis and New Jersey also. So Crawford is starting to struggle. And Scott Darling, who overall maybe isn't having the best year, he has overall just a 912 save percentage, but he's been doing really well in his last few starts. But like Kudobin, it hasn't been too often. But in Darling's last three starts, he had a 923, 962, and 946 save percentage. He really deserved the win a couple of games ago against Calgary. Just Chicago, for some reason, wasn't able to score against Kari Ramo. I mean, come on, guys. But at this point, Brian, I wonder if Scott Darling maybe starts getting more of an opportunity. I just decided to search Corey Crawford on Twitter this morning. Maybe that's not the best source to decide what you should do with your fantasy decisions. But so many tweets saying, why is Chicago playing Crawford? Why don't they play Darling? Darling's so much better. Obviously, the Hawks fans think that Darling should get a shot. And Brian, what do you think Quenville is going to do? Well, I'll start by going back to the stats we mentioned before about goaltenders, where you can see maybe if a goaltender's save percentage is higher or lower than you expected it to be, maybe that can be explained by their short-handed save percentage or their high-danger save percentage. In this case, though, both goalies are about even in every single save percentage measure, including that all-around number that you'll see if you look up their number. Darling's at 912, Crawford's at 910. Well, Brian, yeah, overall on the season, they're close. But if you look at the last month, you know, Crawford started strong and is now struggling. Darling is the exact opposite. Yes, if I shrink the sample size for Scott Darling down to simply three games, then he has a really great advantage over Corey Crawford, who in his last eight games has just an 898 even strength save percentage, while Darling has put in a few sterling performances. He's up to a 949 in his last quote-unquote 10 games in Chicago's last 10 games during which he's only actually seen the net three times Crawford you know that low number doesn't tell the whole story because he has had some good starts and he's had some bad starts and the problem with that is he will blow up your numbers at this point in the season if you are starting him every single game and like you'll end up somewhere in the middle of a good save percentage and a bad save percentage which is not going to help you very much I'm not ready to hit the panic button on Crawford just yet. I think this is also not maybe not par for the course with Crawford, but it isn't something that comes totally unexpected. I don't think of him as this elite, super above average goalie. I think of him as, you know, maybe a touch above an average NHL goalie who has a team that supports him better than most NHL teams do, and he benefits from that. But the odd bad night is to be expected. There's been a few more than usual lately, but I'm not ready to throw in the towel on him. I still think he's the go-to guy in Chicago over the course of the season. All right, sounds a lot like what you said about Anderson. I know, like you say, Crawford has never been like that outstanding, but he's always been able to hold on to the job. I remember last year, Antti Ranta had a lot of great games, and I thought maybe it was time that they would give Ranta more of a shot and Crawford might have to sit more. In the end, Crawford ended up getting the majority of the starts. Do you think it's the same thing this year? Darling's playing well, but it's just going to be the same number of starts for Crawford at the end of the year? Or do you think there is a bit more of a chance that Darling can steal something? No, that is what I see. And I remember last season, as well as you do, where Ranta was doing very well and Crawford was doing pretty well. And it didn't really matter. And Darling actually had a few good turns in there as well. And maybe what happened in the playoffs might have changed people's perceptions of how nimble Chicago was willing to be in their goaltending choices. But I still think that Darling is like the entrenched number two guy. And remember, he had a couple weeks starts to start the year. Elon, like, I'm going to bring some people into some of our own private conversations earlier this year. I think like 10 games in, you were telling me, Brian, you were so right about Crawford. I feel so dumb for being so high on Darling. I was way off about that. And then like when you came to record today, you were like, I was right about Darling. I knew all along Crawford is really struggling. Don't you think that there is something to what I said at the start of the season? Well, yeah, so I had a weak moment and now I'm starting to see the light. I guess at the end of the day, probably... 
Crawford is going to get the majority of the starts. That's what seems to be what history tells us. But Scott Darling's doing really well. Right now, how are you going to rank Scott Darling and Anton Kudobin moving forward? I think Darling might put up the better numbers, but I will take Kudobin. You said like that maybe it sounded similar from what I was saying from team to team. I still think there is a little more to chip away at for Kudobin. Like he has more within his reach than Darling does at the end of the day. So I would go with him. Okay, now let's go to Winnipeg. Actually, there's an injury to report. We don't know the severity yet, but Andre Pavlek left yesterday's game and apparently was seen wearing crutches. I don't know what that means. He might be out long term. He might not be. But it's a good time anyways to go and see what's going on in Winnipeg with that tandem because Michael Hutchinson has been like, okay, overall, he has a 915 save percentage, better than Pavlik as we kind of expected he would be. Pavlik only has a 906, but Pavlik has started 13 games. Hutchinson has seen only eight starts. Obviously, now with Pavlik injured, Hutchinson's value goes up. But Brian, overall, do you think that Hutchinson is on the verge of stealing the number one job like he did for a long stretch last year? And I guess regardless right now, would you recommend people pick him up since Pavlik might be injured? Absolutely. I know he's been more of a fringe player for most of this fantasy season because Pavlik has been doing all right. But Hutchinson is still posting about NHL average numbers so far this season, which is what we would have expected from him. However, he does play for a very good hockey team, even though they did have a run recently that was not very good. And so the wins should come and he should have a fairly decent goals against average. And that average NHL save percentage should stick for most of his starts. You know, anyway, it'll all come out in the wash between a few great starts and a few poor starts. But what I am watching for is Connor Hellebuck has yet to be called up as of this recording. I imagine we're waiting for a little more information on Pavlik's injury before that happens. But he would be somebody that I cannot wait to see get into the net during the regular season. He made a highlight reel stop during the preseason. I think it was in a three-on-three overtime against Minnesota. Got a lot of people excited, and people have been excited about him for a while, including us. I wonder if this is his chance to finally make a first impression in the NHL. I'm not saying that he's going to stick around once Pavlik gets healthy, but if Pavlik is out for extended time and he puts in a couple good performances to start, I don't see why he wouldn't get to see maybe even almost split time with Hutchinson. Wow, okay, so with that being said, how are you going to put Hutchinson in this ranking of backup goalies? And I guess Hutchinson wasn't really a backup, and now he's even less of a backup with Pavlik potentially injured. But if you had a choice now between Kudobin and Hutchinson, Kudobin being your number one so far of the guys we've talked about, which one would you go with? I'd go with Hutchinson, even though I think Hellebuck is a threat to take starts from Hutchinson. If he does get called up, I would still probably roll with Hutchinson and think that he is going to see the most ice out of any of those goalies in the near future. And of course, all of this is contingent on what is actually wrong with Pavlik. Okay, let's try to burn through a couple more of these. We also have a bunch of skaters that we wanted to talk about this week. Mike Smith was apparently injured yesterday, which means Anders Lindback might be getting some more starts. Brian Smith has actually not been so bad at least in terms of being a goalie that can get you wins. Like, Arizona's won a lot more games than we expected. Smith, actually, though, himself hasn't been that great. Only a 904 save percentage. But that means Lindback is maybe going to take the reins for a while on a team that is capable of scoring goals. But, of course, Anders Lindback. He's Anders Lindback. I can't recall ever thinking that he was a good goalie. Is there any reason to pick him up now that Smith is injured compared to these other guys? No, there's not. If you had Mike Smith because you needed those starts, then I suppose that would be the one reason to pick up Lindback. But we went into detail often on Lindback last season when we thought, oh, this is an opportunity, and this is an opportunity, and this is an opportunity. And he never took full advantage of any of them. I'm just not sure he can ever be an average NHL goaltender. So far, he is proving us right into this season. He's got a 909 save percentage, which is actually better than Mike Smith's. But if you look at his last couple starts, he has an 870, an 871, a 917 was the high watermark of his last three starts. And by a long shot, too, I'm not at all very excited about Anders Lindback. Elon, just to be completist, we should mention Marek Longhammer, Langhammer, Longhammer, however you choose to pronounce it, is probably the correct way. He was called up on an emergency basis from the ECHL's Rapid City Rush. They rushed him right onto the squad to back up. Anders Lindback last night. I wouldn't expect to see much fancy value from him, but anybody who is sharing the crease with Anders Lindback should probably get a chance at some point if you're desperate for a spot start. Okay, and then we have the situation in Edmonton, which I know we talk about Edmonton every week. So just really quickly, Talbot has really lost the job at this point. It seems like to me, Nilsson played both of Edmonton's games last week. 
did pretty well, got that emphatic win against New Jersey on Friday. He led in only one goal, so I don't see why the Oilers aren't going to ride him again in their next game. So, Brian, two questions here then. If people have Talbot, should they be thinking about dropping him for Nilsson or one of these other guys? And second, where would you rank Nilsson with some of these other backups? Well, to be that counterpoint, as I have been about Nilsson all season long, Elon, yes, great win, 950 save percentage, only gave up one goal against the offensively charged New Jersey Devils. But in his two games before that, he had an 852 and an 810 save percentage. So I sort of am like, Nilsson Schmilson. Well, first of all, Brian, I don't think people get sarcasm over a podcast. I I assume you're joking or being glib when you say the offensively charged New Jersey Devils, though they have been scoring a lot of goals this year. And by the way, we should mention Corey Schneider has been a lot more valuable than people thought he would be, as he's been a goal that's been able to get you wins. But okay, back to the Oilers. Fine, Nilsson Schmilson. So first, my first question, though, is Talbot a drop at this point? When we're looking at guys like Kudobin, Darling, that caliber of fantasy goaltender, is Talbot now in that list or maybe even worse as a backup goalie that's not even doing very well on not a great team? Yeah, I think, Elon, you actually mentioned to me earlier this week, I'm going to steal this one from you, he's probably comparable in value to Ben Scrivens from 2014-15. You know, you get a lot of starts, but you don't put up any great numbers and you don't get a lot of wins and there is like this constant threat of somebody taking over your job. I can see Nilsson and Talbot splitting time for a little while. I don't think any one of them, though, is going to run away with the job or pick up a whole lot of wins in the process. So either one might not help you. And this is like a strictly contextual decision that I think every owner needs to make for their team, depending on how many starts they need and how much they need a third goalie or something like that. But I would not want Talbot or Nilsson as my number one guy. Probably not my number two guy. I think either one would best be suited. You'd be in good shape having them as your number three guy. Brian, I have to say I strongly disagree here. I feel like going into the season, Talbot was maybe a decent number three guy to draft. Now they seem like free agent fodder to me. Like it seems like you're saying that someone like Anton Kudobin, who at least will get a decent save percentage and a chance to win, is more valuable than someone splitting time on Edmonton and getting 900 save percentages. Like you'd really want to have one of those goaltenders as your number three? Only because of volume of starts. And, you know, everybody looks for something different from their number three goalie. I look for somebody who could eventually step up to a number two with a good run. I don't know that Kudobin could be my number two guy, but I still think that Talbot still has a shot. I I might be being stubborn about this, but say in a week where my save percentage is totally blown up already and it doesn't matter if I get a win and I just need a warm body in there, for that reason, I might prefer Talbot. Like, for example, I had Bernier to start the season as my number three goalie. And right now I have Reimer, which is working out really well. But when I added him, I didn't really care if he had, you know, a 925 save percentage. I just wanted him to start games. Okay, volume of starts, very good. How many starts did Cam Talbot have last week? Zero. Like, how can you rely on Talbot to give you volume of starts when he's not even getting games now? And if you pick up Nilsson and you're saying maybe Talbot will get the start, it seems like a completely unreliable number three goaltender, either of them. Right, but I'm talking beyond, like, a single week. I I think I'm looking longer term than you are. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm swayed if I wasn't already on the same page as you. Like, there's streamed guys that you can pick up for a spot start. I think your initial question, Elon, was like, should you drop Cam Talbot or add Anders Nielsen. And I think if you already have one, it might be a little harder to let them go. But if they are both in free agency, no, I'm not rushing to pick up either one unless I do need to stream a start. I feel like if you own either of them, they're a safe drop. You might as well stream that spot at this time because you don't even know which one of them is going to be the starter. And if I had to bet right now, it's going to be Nilsson because Nilsson has been the starter. He's playing every game. He had that bad game a couple of games ago on Wednesday and they still went with him on Friday and then he got the win. I also think in the sense of full disclosure, I am somebody who held Victor fast for an incredibly long time last year. So maybe I just am very poor at managing specifically Edmonton Oilers goalies. All right, good vote of confidence for people that are going to be taking your advice that you give today. But hey, how about we give you some credit now? You really called it with Red O'Bara last week, right? You were saying that Barra isn't worth owning and you don't think he's good, even though he was having that great run on Colorado. And we even got an email from Dauber himself telling you that you were being a bit too hard on Red O'Bara. But you know what, Brian? Three starts this week, led in four goals in each of them, three losses, three horrible save percentages. So obviously you know what you're talking about just a little bit. Well, I'm not going to do a victory lap exactly. I'm not saying that I just didn't get lucky here. And hearing from you that you still had faith in Barra and hearing from Dauber that he still had faith in Barra made me really think that I got it wrong. And I was actually very nervous 
going into last week. So if anything, I'm just relieved. I mean, there's not much to say at this point so far about him. He had four really great starts. Nas had three really poor starts. So I don't know, maybe another four great ones are coming around the corner. We're going to need like another 20 games from him to really get a sense of how he plays. The question will be, Will Colorado give him that 20 games still if there is an opportunity if Varlamov stays out or if Varlamov needs more rest time? Because now Calvin Pickard has taken the net, and we talked about him being a candidate last week, who I thought, you know, maybe he should have been the guy to get the call to get some games in for Colorado because of good performances from last season, and no, he didn't make the most of his first opportunity this year. Actually, his second opportunity this year. He came in, stopped 18 of 21 shots for an 8.57 save percentage. Before that, he had a really short appearance where he stopped three of the four shots that he faced for a 7.50 save percentage. I can do that math in my head. So I don't know. I don't know who's going to take the net in Colorado. I would not want to be Colorado's goalie, period, right now. I wouldn't blame whatever's happening solely on the goaltending. They have some very deep issues that need to be sorted out as a team. And in the meantime, I would be a little afraid to start any Colorado goaltender, but we've seen in the past that either Barrow or Pickard might be able to give you a very timely good start if you want to chance it. Yeah, and I'm reading here that Varlamov might be back in the net as soon as tomorrow, according to Roto World, so you can keep your eye on that. Maybe it's time to just drop Barra. If you still have Barra, now he's given you these three bad starts and blown up your week. And with Varlamov coming back, it's probably time to move on. Brian, let's summarize here. Let's say... In your free agent list, I'm going to leave out Hutchinson. Let's say you've got Kudobin, Darling, and Markstrom available, a goalie we talked about last week. He didn't get in the net much this week, but Miller has continued to struggle. If you had to choose right now between Darling, Kudobin, and Markstrom to be your third goalie, let's say you had Cam Talbot, and I convinced you that we should drop him because he's useless, who would you pick up of those three? Who do you think is going to get the most starts? Who do you think is going to have the best numbers? Most starts, I'll go with Kudobin. Best numbers, I'll go with Markstrom. I still like him the most of that group. If you can ride out a little while of him jockeying for position in Vancouver, and like I don't think he has any potential to be number one or number one A this season for the Canucks, but I do think he has potential to chip away at the number of starts that they would have liked to give Ryan Miller, that Ryan Miller is sort of Handing on a silver platter to whoever is in the back of position right now, that is Markstrom, who has proved himself capable from time to time. We went into detail on this last week, so I'm not going to go much further for now. Other to say, I would go Markstrom, Kudobin, Darling, and then just for you, Cam Talbot. Okay, so just to be clear, you're putting Markstrom above Kudobin for the quality of starts, but you're putting Kudobin over Markstrom for getting more starts. I feel like if they're close enough in quality, I'd rather have Kudobin than if you think he's going to start more. Well, and for a better team, so he's going to get more wins in the starts he gets in all likelihood. I think I just find Markstrom a little more exciting, and I might still hold a little thing against Kudobin from his abysmal performance last year in a situation where the starting job was his for the taking, and he couldn't handle it. All right, that was our run of goalie talk for the week. Let's move on to some skaters. Let's talk about some players on hot streaks, players that have moved up to their team's top line or into an exciting position. And Brian, let's start with Tanner Pearson. And I'm going to read you a tweet from at the highlight reel that we got right after our episode was posted last week. What? No Tanner Pearson for joining the top line on this episode? Why not? And I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure that Brian doesn't think much of Tanner Pearson because last year it was all about how he was doing so well at the start, but he had an unsustainable shooting percentage. We knew it wasn't going to keep going. Then it didn't keep going. Brian was right. Then he got injured, of course, so who knows how he would have done if he had a full season. But right now, he's playing on the top line with Kopitar and Gabryk, has 11 points in 19 games on the season, and 8 points in his last 9 games. So Tanner Pearson is heating up once again, just like he did at the beginning of last year. Brian, is this going to be much of the same of last year, where everyone's going to pick him up, and then he's going to cool off? Or do you think this time his run is more sustainable? Our week was actually bookmarked by Tanner Pearson tweets because just yesterday I got a tweet from Klingbergian who said in a tone that I'm not sure I can quite translate to the show, he said, you can keep ignoring him if you want to, but Tanner Pearson is not going away, colon dash P. And I might agree, Tanner Pearson might not be going away. In fact, I like him today more than I've ever liked him before. How's that for a twist? Did you see that coming? Shocker. If you guys could only see Elon's face right now, he is just like on the floor. Okay, but really, the reason that I like him more this time around than last time around, well, there's two big differences. The first one is that last year during his big stretch, and actually just to recap, 
He had nine points in 11 games played last October. This November, he's got eight points in his last nine. Okay, so back to the two big differences. The first is back in October of 2014, his production was very goal-heavy and a super high shooting percentage at 35%. A lot of people thought he was on pace to score like 40 goals and it was going to be like automatic and I was very strongly against that. And I think his teammates were also shooting quite well with him on the ice, even though he only managed to pick up two assists in that little spurt that he had. This time around, though, his points are mostly coming from assists, which is interesting because nobody on his line is scoring, but he's still managing to pick up assists. He's got two goals and six assists for those eight points in this current run, an 11% shooting percentage, which is something he can hold on to. His teammates are also shooting relatively normally while he's on the ice, and that is another positive thing for thinking, well, maybe this can continue. The other big difference is before he was doing it from line two, Now he's doing it from line one, and I don't know if that's like really a huge difference, but I feel like that line one spot this year could be a little more his than that second line spot was for him last year. Last year, if you look at who played on line one, it might have been Dustin Brown or Dwight King or Justin Williams. Well, we know Dustin Brown had a turn on the top line. Nobody was scoring. He was taking a lot of shots, but now he's down on the third line. And Dwight King is injured, and Justin Williams is no longer on the team. So really, if you're looking at someone to fill in on the left side, on that top line, you almost wonder what took so long for Tanner Pearson to get a turn. He's making the most of it. He's somewhat unchallenged up there, and I like the way he looks in the short term. Something I'm not sure I saw myself saying, but I do like what I'm seeing so far now. What I'd really like to see is for Gabrick and Kopitar to start putting up points as well. Well, you would think then if it's just a matter of time before Gabrick and Kopitar put up some more points, then that's just even better for Tanner Pearson. And I'll say another thing about Pearson, last year versus this year, last year he was averaging only 13 minutes per game on average pretty much, which isn't much of an opportunity to score. So he was getting a lot of points, but doing it in not much ice time, which on one hand is really great for his points per 60 minutes, which is a stat I know you like. But on the other hand, it didn't seem very sustainable, like you want your guys to be playing more minutes. This year, Tanner Pearson is up to... 15, 16, he even had one game where he played 17 and a half minutes. So he's getting more ice time. He's on the top line. This is a Tanner Pearson that I can get behind and definitely a decent add in your league if he's still available, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. This is a Tanner Pearson that I would be ready to stream. Elon, did you mention he's on the second power play unit? I did not. Okay, well now I did. And there's not a whole lot more to say about that. The second power play unit in LA is not terribly strong, but maybe it's a stepping stone. For Tanner Pearson. And while we're on the Kings, Elon, there's one player I would really, really like to mention. I think we mentioned him towards the start of the season, but it's time to revisit. Tyler Toffoli is on a six game point streak right now and is actually just one point shy of a point per game pace. He has 18 points in 19 games so far this season. He is second in team scoring only to Jeff Carter, who he trails by just a single point. And after that, he has a seven-point lead on the next best guy, who is actually, well, it's a couple people, but Tanner Pearson is in that mix with 11 points. Toffoli's percentages are a touch high, and I definitely don't expect him to end the season with 75 points, but he is still very good at hockey, and if he's still a free agent in your league, which he shouldn't be, and Elon is informing me right now that he very likely is not a free agent in your league, which is unfortunate for you if you missed out, but if you didn't miss out, just pat yourself on the back. This is more of a Tyler Toffoli recognition segment, I suppose. Well, no, I think it's more than that, because if people have Tyler Toffoli, maybe they're wondering if they should sell high, because if you're saying he's not going to stay a point-per-game pace type of player... Now's the time to see if you can trade him for someone slumping, maybe like a Claude Giroux. Like, how high can you go for a Tyler Toffoli right now? Obviously, you're saying you think he's going to do really well, but at the same time, maybe not expect this production moving forward. But definitely, if you drafted him, you were really smart to do so. And hey, since we're on the Kings, I was going to mention this guy later in a different segment, but we talk every once in a while about defensemen who are able to put up points and give you blocks. And there's one right now on LA that is fitting the bill. Alec Martinez has got five points in his last nine games, which is great production for a defenseman alone. And he's also been taking a lot of shots on goals. If you have shots in your league, he's able to provide there. He even has some power play points. He's on the second power play unit along with Tanner Pearson. And he's getting like two, three... And sometimes even five blocks in a game. So Alec Martinez is becoming a multi-cat guy that you might want to pick up in your league before someone else does. He's only 18% owned in ESPN right now. The number has been rising steadily every day. And I imagine pretty soon he's going to be gone in your league, especially if it counts blocks. 
Yeah, taking in my cupful league, and I think he is being picked out of free agency piles very quickly. He is sort of the flavor of the week, and I think he could be like a fairly steady guy over the rest of the season, but right now his value is probably around its highest. Not to say he won't get to this point again at some point during the season, but if you want to stream in a defenseman, he would probably be amongst the top choices available. And I guess in a similar vein, or Brian, at least I want to get your thoughts on him, Dan Girardi on the Rangers had a bit of a hot run going. He's scoreless in his last two games, but before that, he had a run of six points in seven games. And again, this is a guy who's putting up even more blocks than Alec Martinez. We're seeing two, three, four, five consistently. Do you think that now that Girardi's cooled down a bit offensively, do you think he's able to put up similar points to Alec Martinez? Or would you say Martinez is the higher upside points guy while Girardi is the higher blocks guy? Yeah, that's exactly what I'd say. And Girardi is not going to get much better offensively. In fact, he's a greater and greater defensive liability with each passing year, which explains his blocks totals. There's a lot of shots taken against him while he's on the ice, and he is, to his credit, very good at getting his body out in front of them. Elon, while we're on defensemen, do you mind if I just throw in another name that might be a good ad? Uh, no, I don't mind. Yeah, I guess that sort of is the reason for this entire show. Uh, So I will throw out Matt Niskanen's name, who has been 100% owned in ESPN leagues for a very long time, and then I think recently started to drop down a little bit in terms of how many people owned him, and for good reason, like he was having a really poor season. I think people wanted somebody who might show up on the power play in Washington, might pick up a couple points, a couple shots, a couple blocks, and just recently... He's been able to start doing that. In fact, in his first 14 games of the season, he had just one power play point. But in his last five games, he has three power play points. And in total, he actually has five assists in that span. Not a ton of shots, a couple blocks here and there. But he could be a good depth add if you're looking to stream in a fourth defenseman right now. Seeing some time on the Washington power play, which, as we know, is a very successful power play. Okay, let's keep this defense train going. I still have a few more top line forwards I want to mention, but okay, how about we talk about Ghost Bear? We brought him up last week on Philadelphia. We decided that's what we're going to call him. His full name is actually Shane Gostas Bear. But anyway, he's someone who has risen up quickly in owning percentage because he's on that top line on Philadelphia. He scored a power play goal a couple of games ago against LA. He's then gone quiet. He's still taking a couple of shots, but if he's available, he's still a guy that we would recommend as an ad while Mark Streit is injured. For sure. And in terms of power play time, he is seeing a lot of it. He is seeing essentially two thirds of Philadelphia's power play time. Those minutes belong to him. And not only that, but they are coming on the first unit. So you've got Giroux, Shen, Simmons, Voracek, and then you've got Ghost Bear on the back end. So he might be someone you should consider adding right now because those points will eventually come in this sort of like a six-week situation or as long as Strite remains out. But it looks like he's been given the reins for now. And if you want to search him to add him in your league, go to your free agent list and type in G-O-S-T-I-S-B-E-H-E-R-E. Okay, and one more. This is either for very deep one-year leagues or for keeper leagues, but Noah Hannafin is finally starting to get an opportunity on Carolina. He's been seeing more power play time. He scored a goal a couple of games ago. So while at the beginning of the year, we didn't even know if he was going to stick with the team. Now he's confirmed that he's going to stay with the Hurricanes for the rest of the year. And he's getting more and more ice time with every passing week. So I definitely wouldn't be sleeping on Noah Hannafin too much longer. Again, probably not going to make a huge impact this year, but he's going to be able to make a decent impact to maybe make him worth picking up if you're in a keeper league and you want to hold him for next year. At least he's not going to just burn up a roster spot this year like maybe we thought he would at the beginning of the year. And I'll add, this point actually would go towards people in a keeper league who are growing impatient and worried, or for people who are thinking, oh man, I got to rush to grab him. Keep in mind, he is an 18-year-old defenseman in the NHL, and 18-year-old defensemen in the NHL do not have great seasons very often. And I mean, like, great in terms of production. They might have good seasons or growth seasons, but they can't all be, say, Aaron Ekblad, who had a very good season when he was around that age, and so did Eric Carlson. I'm not sure we're going to see the same for Hannafin so far. Just a reminder, he has three points in 16 games, and I don't think extra power play time is really going to up that pace by a whole lot. But if you're looking, you know, to take a flyer on someone, then I suppose you could do worse as long as he is getting that power play time. 
Okay, let's move back to forwards and back to players moving up the depth chart. Here's a good news, bad news situation on Winnipeg. If you own Drew Stafford or he's available in your league, he's been moved up to the second line and has definitely been making the most of it. Playing with Perot and Shifley, Stafford two games ago had two goals and an assist, a huge game against Vancouver, eight shots on goal. Then yesterday against Arizona, picked up an assist, played 21 minutes. So definitely a big uptick for Drew Stafford, who was averaging more like 17 minutes a game. 21 minutes yesterday. And of course, the person who takes the hit and has moved off that second line is Nikolai Ehlers, who has been struggling big time, at least fantasy-wise. He only has one point in his last nine games. And, you know, he was someone who was very exciting at the start. I'm sure grabbed in the majority of leagues. At this point, at least in my opinion, Drew Stafford is the more valuable guy. And if you have Ehlers and players of Stafford's caliber are available in free agency, it's probably time to start looking for another option. Yeah, I think what we're learning right now about Ehlers is he's maybe not a full season rosterable guy for your team. And one of the reasons we were so excited about him at the start of the year, it wasn't just that he was producing, but it was that he was taking a ton of shots while he did. In fact, he has 62 shots on goal so far this season. However, the large majority of those came in like the first half of the games he played. If you look at his last seven games, he has had one or zero shots on goal in five of those seven games, which is not a promising thing. Now he's on the third line with Burmistrov and Thorburn, which is not necessarily going to be a scoring line, not expected at all to be a scoring line. We should also mention while we're talking about the Jets, Lad, Little, and Wheeler reunited, and it feels so good. You know, I was thinking next we talk about the Lightning, and I wanted to mention Vladislav Nemestikov making it on the top line with Stamkos. I see already in the last game that's changed. Things are really wonky right now in Tampa Bay. Tyler Johnson is injured. Palat is injured. Kucherov got a run on that top line. As of last game, it was Stamkos, Killorn, and Callahan. All that to say, if you were thinking of streaming Nemestikov because he was playing up with Stamkos, that might not be the case, and it might not be the kind of thing you could rely on, even if you see him back there. I'm going to start by zooming out for a minute, Elon, saying, you know, we already talked about the general impotence of Tampa's offense so far this season. Stamkos, he's got 17 points, so he's pretty all right. Maybe not meeting expectations of anyone who drafted him top five this year, but he's okay. He's managing. Kucherov has upped his own pace lately with 10 points in his last 10 games played. But other than that, most Lightning players are only making sporadic visits to the score sheet. It is fair to know that a lot of them aren't even on the game sheet, as you said, Johnson, Palat, Druin, Paquette, and recently Callahan just came back. But neither one of those guys was really helping themselves a lot while they were on the ice anyway. So we've got a lot of mixing and matching in Tampa's top six. Like you said, Elon, it's a bit of a mess. Essentially, half of the spots in the top six are open right now, desperate for someone to step in. And Alex Killorn is probably the one who's made the most of this, or really the only one making anything of it. He has a goal and three assists for four points in his last five games. If I wanted to stream someone on Tampa, he would be my choice. Nemesnikov, you know, we saw him in a similar situation last year where he was bumped up for a game or two at a time and then bumped back down. And, you know, every now and then he'd score a couple goals or pick up an assist, but there was never much sustained production from him. And I imagine that's how this will all work out for him too. While that spot is available in the top six, he might move back and forth into it, but I still don't know if he's worth streaming if you catch him doing it. Yeah, also you may notice that Nemesnikov has had a huge uptick in his time on ice in the last three games. He was averaging only like 12 on the season, but in the last three games he's played 20, 19, and 18. But again, there's all these injuries, so you don't want to put too much stock into that lasting for a long time. Next team... How about we go back to Edmonton? I know people are probably annoyed because we talk about Edmonton every week. I was thinking we won't talk about Edmonton this week, and yet we already have talked about Talbot and Nilsson. Really quickly, though, Teddy Purcell has found his way onto the top line, playing with Taylor Hall and Leon Dreisaitl. And the top line looks good on Teddy Purcell because he's got seven points in his last six games, probably helped by the fact that Leon Dreisaitl has 10 points in his last six games. Dreisaitl's on fire. Anyone near him is benefiting and right now obviously Taylor Hall would have done well anyways and he has eight points in his last six games but Teddy Purcell is the guy who's probably available in your league and I think worth a stream right now and I guess Brian I want to get your opinion on Purcell but also Dry Sadel. at this point we have to start figuring out what type of player is he? he's on like an 122 point pace right now if he keeps doing what he's been doing 17 points in 10 games so far on the season 
I'm not going to ask you if Drysdale is going to be an 100-point player this year, but do you think he's a threat to be like a 70-point player? Or do you still think if people are thinking of him that way, this is your chance to sell high and get someone? Like, let's say, for example, you brought up Tyler Toffoli earlier. Who would you rather have between Toffoli and Drysdale? Okay, hang on, hang on. I know you want to talk about Drysdale really eagerly, but let's just go back to Teddy Purcell for a second. You know, I remember him last year as a guy who occasionally got a turn on the top line, and I was so frustrated because he got those turns while Yakupov languished on the third line, and Purcell, he never really did much with those line mates last year. He had a point here and there. He played with mostly Nugent Hopkins and Perron when he did get those opportunities, finished the year with 34 points, but right now, I am not mad at all about what Teddy Purcell is doing. He's stepped right into that spot on the right side of Dreisaitl and Hall, and even aside from last year when he didn't do so well in these opportunities, This actually is not unfamiliar territory for Teddy Purcell. This is a guy who pretty much made his career out of 150-plus and 260-plus point seasons as a complementary player on the top lines in Tampa Bay. He got to play with Samkos in St. Louis, and before that, he played with Le Cavalier in Gagné. So he knows what he's doing in this spot, or at least finally he appears to know what he's doing. He has nine points in his last nine games. Just to emphasize, though, how important line mates are for him. His most common center so far this season has been Anton Lander. They've played 112 minutes together so far at even strength, and in that time, Purcell scored two even strength points. In only 30 minutes of ice, with Dreisaitl as his center, Purcell has put up three points. Now, of course, it's a small margin of difference, but 80 minutes also of difference too, but we know where Purcell's bread and butter is, is what I'm trying to say here. But see how much longer he holds onto the spot. As long as he's there, he is worth your while. But the moment he's not, well, then you're looking for your next option. Yeah, Purcell's also on the top power play. So keep an eye on that as well. It's definitely a good time to be a Teddy Purcell owner. A couple of times there you said Purcell. I know I also said Dry Seidel, and then you were saying Dry Seidel. So people are probably yelling at their media devices right now. So I apologize for that. Okay, Brian, Dry Seidel versus Toffoli and your general Dreisaitl update, I want to hear it. I bet you do, but first I want to talk about Nail Yakupov, just really quickly. He's in a six-game pointless drought. I think it's worth mentioning, because people might have Yak on their roster. Drop. Drop him. Okay, fine, and Purcell is available. So yeah, maybe that's a move you can make. Yakupov is still taking shots, so that's a good sign, but he has just one point since McDavid is injured. His minutes have dropped a bit. But he is still playing on the second power play unit, but his even-strength line mates are not so strong. So yeah... Yeah, if you still have Yakupov and you didn't get to sell high, uh, you might be waiting till McDavid comes back for things to start going well for him again. Hopefully, he can create his own good luck. Elon, do you have any more questions about the Oilers? What do you think about Leon Dreisaitl? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So, you know, okay. You, I think, have totally misconstrued my opinion on Leon Dreisaitl. When he started coming up and he put up, like, three points in his first two games, I was like, okay, that's great. I'm not about to drop someone legit for him. I haven't seen enough. And then you missed out on him. Yeah, it was a big mistake. You were good. You were reactionary, reactive, and it was fantastic. And you and everybody else who did that are smiling right now. And I am left wishing that I did. But here's the thing with Dreisaitl. And here's also the thing about your opinion, about my opinion on Dreisaitl. It's not as negative as you think it is. And I just want you to listen to the whole thing before jumping in. So Dreisaitl, he's scoring on 29% of the shots that he's taking this year. So that means, you know, if he takes 10 shots on goal, three of them are going in, and no NHLer can keep that up. His on-ice shooting percentage is also quite high at 15%. That's kind of almost double what we would expect from a forward, even a forward who shoots well. But then, on the positive side, if you're looking for other things that might be more sustainable or signs of underlying numbers that show well, even though he is getting a bit of puck luck, perhaps... He's still doing a lot of things to maybe earn that puck luck, and he is. Right now, if you take a look at Oilers forwards, he leads them in scoring chances four per 60 minutes, on ice shots four per 60 minutes, and he's been nothing short of great this season so far. And he is, well, I mean, it goes without saying, he should be on your roster at this point. But the question is, what's his actual value? Elon, you mentioned his pace before. Right now, In an 82-game season, at his current pace, he would score 140 points. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen or continue all the way through to the end of the season. So where do you value him? And that's a really, really tough question 
I'm having a hard time with that myself. Elon, you want to know me about Dreisaitl versus Toffoli? I want to know about you and Dreisaitl versus Panarin. <laughs> so you're avoiding the question. <laughs> That's fine. I'll say Panarin over Dreisaitl. But I think they both could challenge for 70 points. I'd be more confident with Panarin doing it, though. Maybe Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I would be more confident in Panarin as well. But maybe that's about where you're valuing him on the trade market. If you own him, if you're selling him, if you're buying him, then maybe you should value him more around the Toffoli range. Like from Toffoli, I'm hoping for 60 points this season. And that's not an easy task in today's NHL. I think a lot of people think oh, a bunch of players get 60 points. Last year, I think I, I just ran the numbers. It was like 15% of all NHL players if you're trying to buy Dreisaitl, you know what? I actually don't recommend you do it because you're going to be paying through the nose and you don't know what value you're going to get out on the other side. If I had to choose between Toffoli and Dreisaitl, you know, I might call it even. Is that a cop-out? Yeah. Yeah, it is. What if we get a question on Twitter saying, should I, I just got offered Dreisaitl for my Toffoli, should I take it? And you're just going to write back saying, it's even? I guess you can say that. You can say flip a coin. No, I'd ask, what's the motivation? How can you get more out of the trade? But... If you're making me take a side, I'm going to go like strategic decision making and say, okay, well, if I go with Toffoli, I'm really maybe seemingly doubling down on my mistrust of Dreisaitl. But if I go for Dreisaitl, then I'm abandoning a lot of what I've said apparently. But again, I think it's all a very twisted web that we've woven with this Dreisaitl talk over the last couple of weeks. I don't think I need to make a decision. If you want to know whether to trade Dreisaitl for Toffoli or the other way around, why don't you tweet at us or become a patron, join the Facebook group, and we can talk about it there. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, with that perfectly placed advertisement, why don't we just take a second and mention the patron program that we have. The only way to get Brian's opinion about Leon Dreisaitl compared to some other players in the NHL is to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. And we do want to thank all the people who have signed up. Obviously, the show's going to be free forever. We love to do it. We appreciate everyone listening and tweeting at us and all of that. But if you want to support the show, you could donate $5 a month, become a patron of Keeping Carlson. You get access to our patron-only Facebook group where you could ask your fantasy questions at any time of the day and get answers from Brian and I, as well as all of the other smart patrons. We have a lot of interesting discussions there. We have a game night thread every night where everyone complains about their players doing badly and celebrates about their players doing well. Updates on injuries faster than you could find them. Sometimes even on Roto World, because people are like watching the game, like, uh-oh, looks like Pavlik might have just gone down. Also, we have our monthly patron cast. We just had a really fun patron cast last Tuesday. Thanks to everyone who joined us for that. That's available to you in the archives. If you become a patron, you can listen to all old patron casts. People asked a lot of interesting questions. We actually had a whole discussion about who is our all-sleeper team at this point of the year, players who have been surprising. It was a lot of fun. So you become a patron, you get access to the Facebook group, you come to patron casts, and you support the show that you like. So something to consider keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And of course, once again, thanks to the patrons who have already signed up. I'll make a shout out to one new patron. Happy birthday, Jake Brooks. <laughs> I hope that's what you were looking for, Graham. And of course, that is a benefit of being a patron. You can let us know if you want to be thanked on the show. It is the default. If you have signed up and you have not gotten your thank you, then make sure you get in touch with us and we'll give it to you. Also, Elon, one more thing before I move on. You were talking about patron casts. And that is where, like, you know, after we record the show, I still have a few things that we haven't gotten to or that come to mind, like, the next day. It's like, oh, that would have been a great thing to talk about. So I, like, take little notes, and that's what ends up getting on the patron cast each month. And we are actually very dangerously close to adding a second patron cast to hitting our goal of having $1,000 pledged in support of the show per month, which is great because we do have expenses and we do really want and need that support. We are 18 patrons away from getting to that second patron cast each month. If you are thinking about it, maybe now is the time to support the show over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Okay, and I guess I'll stop pulling teeth trying to find out from Brian the exact value of dry. It's hard. I'm just kidding around, right? Like, obviously, dry sidle won't keep up this pace. Hard to know exactly where he'll land. But okay, let's finish off the show with maybe some snoozers, maybe some other players we just wanted to mention. I guess we'll get into a lightning round. I guess it's kind of been a lightning round already. But I've got a couple snoozers for you, Brian. I want to start with Joel Ward. And I think I might be to blame a little bit. Like, I got very excited when Joel Ward was like a point-per-game player early in the year. And it seemed like he was in a good position, you know, in the top six. Second power play, it didn't seem too hard to believe that he'd be able to keep up, not a point-per-game pace, but at least some reasonable production. But Brian, you 
were probably right on this one. You said that he's never been more than like a 40, 50 point guy. And it seems like that's where he's going to land. He only has three points in his last seven games. Two of those came against the Islanders. So aside from that, he only has like one assist, which he actually got yesterday against Pittsburgh in his last five games. So if you still have Joel Ward and you're excited about a San Jose Shark that you might want to drop him for, like you still want to have someone on the Sharks in the top six, you're just getting tired of Joel Ward. Why not take a run at Melker Carlson? We mentioned him last week when I gave a run through of how the whole Carlson family was doing. And I mentioned that Melker had scored a goal. Well, since then, he actually has three points in his last three games. And he's playing on the top line with the Joes, Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton. A great place to be. Plus, also, he's getting decent ice time. Like, I remember last year when we were talking about Carlson putting up points every once in a while. He was only playing like 12, 13 minutes a game. So he wasn't that exciting as a long-term option. I don't know if he's a long-term option just yet. But now that he's up to like 17 minutes a game, he definitely is more interesting to me on that top line. And like I said, now he's got four points in six games on the year. And right now, I would definitely want him at least over Joel Ward. That's a pretty serious swing from you, Yellen. You were so high on Joel Ward earlier this season. You know, Brian, it just comes down to we play fantasy hockey a little bit differently. And maybe both ways can be successful. I like to try to ride the hot streaks and I'm ready to let go if they cool off. And sometimes that burns me and you drop a guy and then he gets back onto where he was and you have to look at the signs. Joel Ward, though, at the end of the day, like you said, has never really put up the numbers that make me think he's so worthwhile to hold on to. So that's why I have this opinion on this player. Works for me most often. Obviously, once in a while, you get burned. Yeah, but I wouldn't call it getting burned. You were right to be high on Ward. He had a fantastic start to the year and anybody who's had him on their team for this long has probably benefited, maybe won a couple categories thanks to him. But now, unfortunately is the time to cut ties. And Melker Carlson, as long as he is on that top line, I'd see him as like having Ricard Raquel-like value, being on that top line with two fantastic line mates. He has three goals and one assist so far in six games this season. Five blocks as well, just so you know. But his three goals have come on just 12 shots on goal. So of course, we're not going to expect this scoring pace from him for long. However, again, as long as he is in a really great position on his team's depth chart, and if you were rolling with someone like Ward before, then I feel like Carlson could be a good next step for you. And really deep on the Sharks, currently Eunice Donskoy, who we mentioned at the beginning of the year, he was playing with the Joes. Who knows how long he'll stay in the top six. He's only playing like 11, 12 minutes a game, but he does have three points in his last three games. So in a super deep league, I'd still prefer first Melker, then Joel Ward, but then Eunice Donskoy. Okay, now I'd like to bring up a guy, and I think, you know what, this is something actually we corrected on the Patreon cast Elon that a mistake that perhaps we made last week I said when Datsuk came back that was potentially going to hurt Dylan Larkin's value and then of course Dylan Larkin has a point in every game that Datsuk has been in the lineup except for one he has five points in his last six games looks even to be back on a roll he's on a four game goal scoring streak and has 15 shots on goal in that span so I don't know if there's really much else to say other than that uh, maybe wrote him off a little too early. He didn't fall exactly where I thought he would on the Red Wings depth chart. In fact, he just moved to the wing to play with Datsuk for part of that time as well. Right now, he seems to be still rolling on a line with Zetterberg and Abdelkader and doing well there for the time being. So any reports of Larkin's demise were and will continue to be premature until further notice. Yeah, definitely of those three guys drafted in the same year that we brought up early on, Larkin, Ehlers, and Robbie Fabry. Larkin is definitely the guy you want right now. Brian, actually, since we're not doing snoozers just yet, I actually have a player I feel like we haven't mentioned enough on the show, or maybe even at all that we have to mention. I can't believe we haven't even mentioned him yet. Brian, who do you think is the leading scorer on the Washington Capitals right now? I think you were sneaking a look at my notes because I already know that it's Evgeny Kuznetsov, and I think that's where you got the idea to bring him up. Elon, am I right? Before I even go any further, is he the leading scorer on the Washington Capitals? He is, and I didn't steal your notes. I wanted to talk about him. I guess everyone wants to talk about him. We need to place him in this conversation with Dreisaitl and Artemi Panarin. You know, how can you not mention Evgeny Kuznetsov? 21 points in 19 games. And we were talking about him at the beginning of the year as someone who might have some increased value, maybe like a 50, 60 point guy, but will have increased value at the start of the year when he's on the first line with Ovechkin. But eventually Backstrom would come back and Kuznetsov would go down to the second line. And that's happened. Kuznetsov's on the second line with Marcus Johansson and Justin Williams. And he's on the second power play, not even on that amazing amazing top power play for Washington, but yet he's still putting up points. So many points for Evgeny Kuznetsov. He just had an amazing three-point game against Colorado yesterday. Obviously, Washington scored seven goals, so you're not going to see games like that all the time, but he's definitely someone, obviously, he's owned in your league. I want to know, Brian, what do you think is the projection right now for Kuznetsov moving forward? Like, should people sell high? I kind of lean to yes. Like, I feel like on the second line, the second power play, there's no way he could keep up this point-per-game production, but maybe I'm underrating him. Well, his percentages are a touch high, but I'm still 
very much excited about Evgeny Kuznetsov. Not only is he leading the Caps in scoring right now, but he is tied for 10th in the NHL in points scored so far this season. He's not somebody that I would be willing to trade away right now. I'm really interested to see what he can do. We know him as a prospect who's supposed to be able to carry his own offensive weight. And so far, Elon, like you said, on that second line, he's still kept going. That was the big test when Nicholas Backstrom not only returned, but returned to the top line. Could he keep scoring? Like you mentioned, it was a seven goal game against Red Obera and the Avalanche. So take it with a grain of salt, perhaps. But the next five games will continue to be a very good test to see what exactly Kuznetsov's value is moving forward. Yeah, like Kuznetsov is definitely for real and a guy you want to have on your team. But I think now's the time, if ever, that if you could try to get like a Crosby or a Giroux for him while they're still kind of slumping, I would do it. I mean, I don't know if you'll be able to make that happen. And I don't want to start comparing him to Panarin and Dreisaitl because we could just talk forever. But I definitely still think you'd want one of those top tier guys over Kuznetsov. But definitely he's doing amazing. I still have one snoozer that I think I just have to mention. Just like Kuznetsov was a player on a hot streak that had to be mentioned. I'm going to say that right now, the guy I'm about to mention is, in my opinion, the most disappointing player of the season so far. So maybe people are trying to guess who am I going to say? And the answer is Mark Giordano. He has six points in 21 games now for the Calgary Flames. Compare that to 48 points in 61 games last year, 47 points in 64 games the year before. He was a fantasy stud defenseman and people drafted him as such. Right now, he's on a 23-point pace. 23 points. If he continues what he's doing, he's going to get 23 points. He's going to be a complete non-entity in fantasy. Even like Crosby and Giroux have been able to do something this year. They haven't been obviously worth where they were drafted, but they've been rosterable players even if they didn't have their names on the back of their jerseys. Giordano has been a complete non-entity. Plus, it's not even as if he's getting the same opportunities that we would expect him to to say, oh, he'll for sure bounce back. He's off the Calgary Flames top power play right now. The two defensemen there are Dougie Hamilton and TJ Brody. At first, when he was slumping at the start of the year, we thought maybe it's just because Brody's injured and once he's back, Giordano will be fine. That has not been the case. Brian, are we getting to a point, and I'm asking this seriously, and tell me if I'm crazy, but are we getting to a point where people need to start considering if it's time to cut bait on Mark Giordano? Because if you have a defenseman, say like Alec Martinez, who we're mentioning, he's putting up points, getting blocks. And I will mention though, Giordano does get blocks and maybe it's a little bit too much to compare him to Alec Martinez. But I just want to know, like at this point, like how long do people hold on to Giordano hoping that he'll get back to the over half point per game pace that he was putting up last year now that he's not even on the top power play in Calgary and struggling so badly? Okay, well, first the bright side. I mean, he is still on the top even strength pairing. And I know the power play pairing is where you get your points, but it's not like he's been demoted to a significantly lower role on the team. But it is concerning that Mark Giordano is looking more like the pre-2013-14 Mark Giordano than the one that we've seen the last two years. And I feel like a part of that has been that his team isn't shooting or scoring quite as well as they were last year. We know Calgary was riding high percentages all of last season, but it wasn't so much the season before that. So we had reason to think that Giordano could still be as productive as we'd want him to regardless of whether, you know, his teammates falter a little bit. Unfortunately, that hasn't exactly been the case. He is having a poor season, Elon. Like you said, I would not cut bait with Mark Giordano, but I might start considering trying to sell low, maybe for another disappointing player on someone else's roster. I would not, like, trade him away for peanuts. I think you either ride it out or you try and get reasonably fair value for him. I'm not the sort of person who would drop him at this point. I know, I know we have like 23 point pace for the rest of the season. Off the top power play, those indications aren't good. And we're already like at the quarter mark of the regular season. So there's not a ton of time left to turn it around. In fact, usually around this time, the 2025 game mark is when you've got a big enough sample to really start making assumptions about how the rest of the season is most likely to go. But I think it's too early to give up completely on Mark Giordano. Okay, I know you hate the player comparisons. I've got one for you right now. I have a potential trade offer you can make if you're a Mark Giordano owner. Who would you rather, Mark Giordano or Rasmus Ristolainen? Right now, you could have one of them. Ristolainen, 12 points in 20 games, 7 points in his last 7 games. I'm also using this as a proxy to be able to just mention Ristolainen again and tell people about how well he's been doing. You have to pick one for the rest of the year right now. Who do you take? It is very compelling that he looks like a young Ivan Drago or something, like the guy who could take over from the very likable Mark Giordano on your roster. I wouldn't take that deal, though. I still think Giordano has greater potential to be on the power play. I don't think he languishes on, like, the second unit all season long. For now, I think it's a matter of Calgary just trying a few different things out to see what works best for the team, and I'm confident in the long run that does not look the way it does now with Mark Giordano in a decreased power play role. Okay, something to track for the rest of the year. This is the big difference 
between Brian and I. I'll take Ristolainen, man. Three, five, two, three. I'm reading his shot totals from his last few games. He's taking lots of shots. He's getting points. He's getting power play time. Even some blocks. Anyway, okay, Brian, do you have a snoozer for us? Kind of. It's sort of like a selective snoozer. Maybe just a super long slumper. And it's Jason Pominville who picked up two assists last night, which is great. And he has actually an assist pretty much every other game for the last six or seven matchups. But he has zero goals in 19 games played and I think we talked about him over the summer as somebody who is like Mr. Dependable it's like oh yeah 30 goals 30 assists no problem he's gonna do that for you a lot or at least 25 goals so far zero goals on only 40 shots taken through 19 games played now I'm not about to suggest that you stop snoozing on him and drop him unless you're in like a super shallow league but I think I am just pointing out in general that this season is going in a very unexpected way for him just 10 points through 19 games zero goals and he has just two shots on goal in his last four games played. Not the season you might have been hoping for from Jason Palmville. In fact, I drafted him in one of my shallower leagues and dropped him, I think, for Mike Hoffman. And that actually worked out very well for me. Okay, right before we close it, since you mentioned Palmville, since we're on Minnesota, Mikhail Granlund, who started the year doing kind of nothing, or at least went on a long stretch of doing nothing, he's got six points in his last six games, and he is centering the top line, and he's on the top power play. So he's probably a free agent in your league. He's, in, he's only owned in 38.9% of leagues, which is rare for someone who gets those minutes in those opportunities, but he's just never been a big shot taker and he seems to always disappoint. I wonder if now's the time to start streaming Granlund once again while he's hot. Zach Parisi is going to be coming back soon. I'd imagine that can only be good for Granlund if he's playing on his line. I also would have suggested good for Pominville too. I think like something is bound to happen for Pominville. The puck will go in for him. And I think Parisi returning to the lineup will probably help everybody in a wild uniform. Just really quickly before we close the show, Elon. <laughs> I just said that. Yeah, but now it's my turn to say it. Let's just talk about a couple guys who are doing really well lately very quickly Artem Anisimov he's somehow still a free agent in several leagues and like you know a lot of people were wondering well can Panarin hang with Patrick Kane and is he creating his own offense the answer is yes the guy who is riding coattails on that line or at least doing a good job you know in his own right but getting increased point totals because of his line mates is Artem Anisimov he is now up to a five game point streak 10 points in his last 10 games played 15 points in 21 games on the season so far it does not take a ton of shots is not going to help you very much in any peripheral category, but if you're looking for a depth point producer at center, well, there's probably a few out there, but Artem Anisimov is one of the more interesting ones to me. And then let's run through uh, just one more here, I think. Uh, P.A. Parento, just warrants a mention, he's not somebody I'd rush to pick up, but he is seeing pretty decent ice in Toronto and was able to do quite a bit with it. Before Friday, he had seven points in his last eight games, but he has gone scoreless in two games since then. Not a huge deal, uh, but if you're looking in a deep league for depth performer, P.A. Parento could be your guy. And I know I said that would be it, but I just also think UC Jokinen warrants a mention as somebody who has produced reasonably well this season, 14 points in 20 games, including a pretty decent run lately with eight points in his last 10. Of course, now that Barkov is back in the Florida lineup and doing very well, I might add, we're looking to see where all the pieces settle. And I think that left wing spot on the second line is kind of up for grabs right now between Piri and Jokinen. Whoever ends up there might be someone you'd be interested in on the bottom end of your roster. Well, Brian, you missed my opening of the show where I was promoting Dauber Hockey because I said that they were actually playing on the line together. Piri and Jokinen are both on the second line, so I guess maybe that left wing spot will go to one of them and the other will just take the right wing spot beside Nick Bjugstad. At least that's a possibility. And then the person who gets hurt is Riley Smith, who would then fall to the third line. Good point, Elon. I didn't miss your opening. You weren't listening to my opening, Brian. (laughs) No, I was but you know it's just been so long since that happened all right fair enough you know i put a lot of work into my openings (laughs) they're very important to me i stay up all night thinking of how i'm gonna say yes to start the show (laughs) but okay that's it for the show this has been a lot of fun i hope you guys have enjoyed it and have found some valuable tips here to take with you into your next week of fantasy action next week's gonna be an interesting week right there's no games on thursday wednesday and friday are the busy days on the schedule so make sure to set your lineups it's gonna be a lot of fun Happy Thanksgiving, I guess, to the Americans out there. And happy late Thanksgiving to the Canadians. (laughs) But yeah, I'll just run down some of the links. You can follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We would love that. You can just search for Keeping Carlson on iTunes. You'll find us there. Go to our website, KeepingCarlson.com. I never really mentioned the website, but that's where you could go to download episodes. Obviously, you found this episode, so you know how to find the episodes, but it's obviously available. You could subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or using whatever podcast listening device you use. I don't know why podcasts always seem to promote their feed and telling people how to download the podcast. I wonder like how do they expect the people downloaded in the first place why do you park in a driveway but drive in a parkway (laughs) 
Okay, I've got nothing left. Let's cue that outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. All right, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our wonderful patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool. Those player profiles are really, really handy. War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Roto World, ESPN, and Yahoo Fantasy Hockey. Usually say ESPN Fantasy Hockey. I guess either one works. Great job, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.